Hi, I'm Nick, and this is the Service Design Show. Hi, my name is Mark, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Service Design Show podcast. This show is all about helping you to design organizations that put people at the heart of their business. The guest in this episode has a background in graphic design and advertising. He worked as a service designer at companies like Delta Airlines, Chase, and more recently Samsung. And he's currently writing and almost publishing a book on service design, which we'll talk about in this episode. His name is Nick Parek. So in this episode, Nick asks some really fundamental questions about service design and design in general and uh, challenges us to take a more critical view on what we do these days and how we can get to the next level. So if you are into that, make sure you stick around till the end of the episode. Before we dive into the chat with Nick, there are a few short uh, announcements. First of all, I'll be presenting at the World Usability Day in Rome uh, on November 14th, 2019. So if you're at the event, if you're going to the World Usability Day in Rome, let me know and let's shake hands there. And if we can't shake hands in Rome, let's shake them virtually. So if you haven't added me on LinkedIn yet, uh, please do that. Look me up there, send me a message. I always like to know who's listening to the show. And if you're a regular listener, you know what this message is going to be. But if you're new here, welcome. And um, if you want to learn how to explain what service design is, to your boss, your colleagues, your mom, or your girlfriend, check out the free course that I've got for you, which you can find at servicedesignshow.com slash free course. Now, that was it for the introduction, and let's jump straight into the interview with Nick. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, really cool to have you on the show. Uh, you're one of the guests that I haven't actually physically met face to face. So it's really uh, nice to connect. For the people who don't know who you are, could you like give us a 30 second background introduction of who Nick is? Sure. Um, so I'm a service designer by, um, by profession. I, my last workplace was with Samsung, where I worked as a design strategy lead where helping them, um, helping some of their partner companies um, think more human-centric design with their products and services. And prior to that, I worked at Chase, where I was part of a team where we were thinking um, uh, branch of the future, um, few uh, branches that would, uh, uh, designing the branches for 2023, where again, uh, putting the user at the center of the story and trying to figure out what services they would want to see in, the, in, the, in their neighborhood branches. Um, yeah. yeah, and in the introduction, I said something about you writing a book. Uh, what's that all about? Um, so a year back, I, I I was in advertising prior to this, and um, I have written several blogs on Medium, and I've also written for other um, advertising stories and stuff. So I decided to jump into a book. It was very exciting. I was told by a few people, why don't you put all your thoughts into one book? And it's always hard to see what the book will be about. So it took me a year to figure out. And finally, I think I'm just in the last stage of uh, production. The book is actually called The Future of Extraordinary Design. Um, yeah. 
and uh, I'm very excited. This is just a home printer version of it, but uh, looking to launch sometime in November. Awesome. Um, so excited to kind of share my, the book is about design strategy, design thinking, and also questioning some of the norms we follow. In the yeah, world. and that's what, uh, what we'll also be doing in this episode. And we'll, uh, we have a small surprise for the people who stick uh, till the end of, uh, of this show. Nick, uh, you said you came from uh, advertising. I know you studied graphic design. How the hell did you end up in service design? Um, what is so your I, first memory of service design? Uh, my first memory of service design, I wanted to study something further. I was deciding between MBA, service design, and a few other things, UX design. Um, I always like the strategy part, but when I read more about service design, that it's how changing the way designers think. I came from a very old school design background, which is graphic design, colors and logos and other the things. Craftsmanship. Yeah. So I loved, I thought that design is no longer about shapes and colors, but it's beyond it. It, it touches our lives in so many invisible ways that we don't see it today. So um, that's, that's how I got into service design. I always tell people that advertising is a way to to sell customers something and service design is a way to retain those customers yes yes we had a discussion some time ago about the difference between branding and and service design so like branding or marketing is your promise and service design is what actually allows you to deliver on that promise that's definitely Nick, we've got so many cool things to talk about. Uh, I've sent you some legendary service design show question starters. I've got your topics over here. Are you ready to start? Definitely. I'm All right. Okay. Drumroll. Topic number one is going to be standardization. 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 Do you have a question starter? And can you share it with us? Sure. Um, so do you want me to put this? Yes, show it, show it us. So, how far? How far what? So, how far can we take standardization? Hmm. Um, especially so in service design, right? Especially in service design. So, um, basically, uh, um, although I would, I use a lot of big company names, so I would use a lot of big company names, but these reference pointers actually relevant to even the small startups. Um, there, I think there is a, I'll start with what the origins of standardization is. How did standardization come into place? Um, back in the day, American companies wanted to scale up and not just American companies, but in general, we, what we see around the world is more of American companies. They wanted to scale up. They had their processes, their systems, their design and everything in place. And the idea was to go to every part of the world and try to set up business there to try to replicate the business model. And what happened over a period of time in the last five years, we've seen that uh, we've seen that the uh, what we've seen is that the world trends have changed. We've seen a shift in social values, political values, and people are no longer looking for big giant corporations to help them decide. But in fact, they're looking for something more local, something more handmade, something more unique, something more artisan, something that's produced in small batches and their cultural relevance to it. And unfortunately, McDonald's, Ubers, and other ones cannot give us those. Mm -hmm. they, are, they are completely opposite of being local, handmade, unique, um, not in small batches, and they don't have a cultural relevance. Um, and in some ways, I think the world started feeling like it's an American product 
with American brand superimposed on another culture. So I think problem with standardization is we need to think different. Brands need to think different. Um, in my book, I talk about how Uber's brand, when it goes to India, Uber is a really nice, um, a really sexy uh, app and look and feel. I really enjoy it. But that's really not relevant in a country like India, because in India, black has a connotation to not such a um, not such a, a, a color that people wear during celebration and same with white. And it's a more of a colorful country. It's more of a country where people and design is supposed to be relative, dynamic mm. and contextual. So if that's the case, then why can't brands start adopting? We've seen the problem with McDonald's that they are facing. McDonald's, a lot of people actually think that standardization is connected to quality. Standardization is not connected to quality, but quality assurance. So McDonald's today has a problem because they stand out from the neighborhood. They don't blend in with the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I talk about, and, and overall, I think when I hear that design is so centralized for big brands and I, it just makes me question that why if we are trying to decentralize the business models if we are trying to decentralize computing then why can't we think of decentralizing uh design itself why can't we get a few designers in different parts of the world who are actually designing the service and making it more local relevant i have a really interesting example here there is a restaurant in new york called uh enoteca maria um, they what they do is they actually don't have a head chef. They rotate the head chef every week. They get what they call it as a nonny, where where a grandma from that neighborhood comes and decides the menu for a week. She plays the role of a head chef and she decides everything. So the grandma can be from Mexico, can be from India, can be from Sweden. And the whole culture of the restaurant changes. And this mm. is very because this is what non-standardization needs to look like. We don't need uh, we don't need to have the same colors look and feel throughout the world replicated, but we need to think how we can be part of that culture rather than superimposing our culture onto others. So many questions that come to my mind. Like, uh, let's start with uh, the first one. Uh, isn't the obvious reasons that organizations and companies don't do this is because it costs them more it, it's less efficient standardization is more efficient and how do, and if the answer is yes how do we as designers break through that um so it is actually on a short run yes it can be a little more expensive it can be less efficient but on a longer run it can be more we've seen the problems today that mcdonald's starbucks mm -hmm. have to rethink their stores and their shops purely because they will have to take a U-turn now to right. what their business model right. is. And I think in a short run, yes, you may not be able to scale up as fast as you can, but I think that's the problem. The world doesn't want fast scaling anymore. They want mm. a very careful source scaling. Shareholders want fast scaling. We as consumers probably don't. And, and I think the world is shifting fast enough. I think shareholders have realized that fast scaling can come with a price. Hmm. So um, for us as service designers on a daily practice, how do we take this, this kind of thinking and actually apply this in what we do? I definitely would say that what 
So these are the three things I would definitely say. Standardization is sometimes used as a necessary evil on a road to mass expansion. But we need to recognize all the time that sometimes it creates more of a hindrance than a help. Um, so plan ahead. Imagine a time you will only try to win a brand, but also delivering a diverse and an adaptable service. Hmm. So it's not just about trying to put your brand across the world, but it's also about the services and all the interaction and all the customer experience with it. Um, standardization, like technology, should be very invisible. And I think, unfortunately, the problem is it's very, very visible. Um, so uh, when I say that Uber can actually think how they can maneuver, how they can change their service across the world, what I mean is that Uber's power is in the cloud and it's in the cash pile. And, and they can go to India and create a similar Uber brand where it relates more to people. They can go to Europe and do so rather than getting a backlash around the world which I'm not saying is a part of the design, but it's also part of the fact that it's superimposing a business model that has worked in one country onto another one. Mm -hmm. And I can I can imagine that uh, just being aware and making your service, um, uh, making sure that you include elements of the local and local can be like super small, can be on a street level that you include um, cultural aspects into your design that's being aware of what the cultural norms and aspects are and taking those into account is already a step in the right direction i guess right mm -hmm. definitely mm. Um, definitely i think uh standardization we we as uh, service designers as design strategists we need to just rethink what standardization means to us and where we need to apply it. I'm not saying we can't apply it anywhere. Definitely can be applied in processes and systems, but it does not need to be applied in branding and it right. does not be applied with customer services. Mm. Interesting. Okay, good topic. Uh, let's move on to topic number two. <clears throat> and uh, this one has been on the show, I think, two or three times. Maybe I think the last guest was Anna Jane to talk about this. So um, let's see what your perspective is. The second topic is beyond human-centered design. So I would say why human-centered design? Why, uh, why human-centered design? Um, I think human-centered design was born with the whole idea of interface design, where we had to take into account people's uh, point of view to see what actually how they use interfaces and how they connect with it. Um, somehow these three words have become champions into everything we do in design. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with that because at the core of it, we use the service. But I think somewhere down the line, we've forgotten we are part of the system and not the entire ecosystem. Uh, back in the day, we often spoke about that how we are at the center of the universe and the sun revolves around us or, and vice versa. So I think somewhere down the line, we have to ask ourselves that when creating a new product and services, what else is being affected? Mm -hmm. so just trying to put the good into it by giving it a spin of human-centered design and not thinking about the entire ecosystem. Yeah. So the first thing you mentioned is that it uh, started with uh, interfaces, and I guess it started with uh, the moment we had to interact with machines, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, not just computers, but I guess uh, anything from steam engine to uh, to to a jet. And the other thing you mentioned was um, 
yeah, beyond human-centered design, I think Mauricio Manez said in his episode, like, if we continue doing human-centered design, we'll destroy the planet. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he probably got, he, he has a point there, right? Definitely. I think uh, definitely Mauricio has a point purely because I think most of the problems we see today in the world, whether it be it political, social, environmental, are because of human, because we've put ourselves always yeah. at the center of the story. We only think about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit too much ego uh, in uh, in design. So how do we, um, have you seen examples of where it wasn't, uh, where human-centered design was part of a human or of a design ecosystem? So are there any references that you... Any good um, examples? Yeah, definitely. I would say to start with uh, one of the things, um, I'll give two examples, one that is definitely working and one that may not work enough, that may we may need to rethink in a longer term. So the one that's working for me is uh, at the top of my mind is definitely something like Beyond Meat Burgers. I think when we think about uh, when we think about health aspect, we understand that McDonald's and others have have given uh, have been good on some uh, uh, some areas where they've been able to provide food to people who definitely need it the most uh, uh, to a certain uh, uh, group of people. Mm -hmm. But the other part is definitely talking about that they've also been in some ways been responsible for the health crisis that we have today and uh, going back to it i think when when i think about beyond burgers and a lot of people talk about it as innovation but i was what, like what is it because i think a lot of people don't know what beyond burgers is uh, so beyond burger is basically this engineered burger that looks exactly and uh, tastes like meat smells like meat um and it looks like meat but it's actually not meat it is actually using uh, DNA and other uh, uh, very natural ingredients to give you that taste of it. Now mm. it's healthier in some ways. It is definitely has a social value to it because we're not going ahead and um, uh, killing animals for it. We're not mass producing it. Um, we're not. We're not. Uh, we're not killing animals for it. We are mass producing it, but in a good way. Mm -hmm. And the is that it's healthier for people so i think when i think about this so many companies when they tell that they are using more organic chicken but i was like we only again thinking about ourselves hmm. what about the fact that you know if you if you kill someone in a humane way it is still killing um so so beyond me to me is a good example that how we can just not think about ourselves but you know the entire ecosystem like right. think of Designing in totality. Yeah, and make sure that everything benefits, right? It, the, yeah, otherwise it's a zero-sum game. What, only one wins and the, the rest is losing, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. Mm -hmm. And so what was the other example that you had in mind? So other example that I have put down in one of my blogs is drones. Um, I think a lot of people get excited because when we see drone delivery, we often talk about it in good sense, whether it's the media or whether we have to try and upsell the idea to someone, but we think about it as emergency services, mm -hmm. you know, this mm -hmm. program. Now, I, having, having worked on it for a little while, I don't know how many actually people have thought about the fact that 
there could be noise pollution what about the birds what about the bees what mm. about mm-hmm. you know uh, people mm-hmm. who live in that neighborhood and because it will come so easy to us will the number of deliveries increase like does my neighbor want to see 25 times drone coming into my house and mm-hmm. hear it all mm-hmm. i think these are the aspects we have to think and learn from it like it's not just about what good it will do to us but it's also what bad it will do to the environment mm. what about if there are no bees tomorrow that means we will have a problem with with the entire ecosystem of the nature so i'm trying to think of uh what why haven't we thought about this more in the past and how can we increase this more is this like because there is a clear for, for instance in service design when you're working for a commercial company there's a clear incentive on what you want to design you're not designing for the bees you're not designing for the other neighbor you're designing something for the customer and how do so how do we bridge that how do we how do we make design more inclusive somebody needs to take an interest in that so if the user has a place uh, at the center of the design so does every other living thing mm-hmm. so i think i think we are designing for the user but we don't want to fall into the same problem that we have today the problem with the environment mm-hmm. we design it for the user but in in 5 to 10 years we realize that we've actually destroyed the entire ecosystem of the neighborhood now one of the scenarios that I actually talk in my book is that tomorrow what will happen is just because i want my delivery to come faster maybe they'll get rid of some trees which are blocking it to come faster and this just goes on at the cost of convenience we are going to uh, sacrifice a lot more so i don't believe i think firstly we should not say that customer is everyone everyone is going to be affected with that ecosystem everyone is going to be affected with that technology and one of the things that i have noticed working in the world of technology that as soon as something new with technology comes we kind of only put forward all the good things that mm. it may do and we kind of forget that it it has its problems we've seen it today people are more addicted to their screens mm. um, people and we've seen that today that Apple and Facebook and all are trying to reduce your time on the screens. So and that yeah. So is sorry. it that I I'm, I'm thinking about these trade-offs that we as designers constantly have to make like if we design it in this way some people will benefit other parts of the system will uh uh be in disadvantage. I think if we uh give um clients the option they will choose always for the option that's most financially interesting. So I think we as designers sort of shouldn't even present the options where there are disadvantages we should always only present solutions that you, you, you know yeah I, the, let's not put clients uh to the in the position where they ha- where they can choose for solutions that are less inclusive and i do believe it's changing purely because if we look at um, people are buying more local which is mm-hmm. actually more expensive than buying something that's mass produced people are buying more as i said buying more local buying things more unique they don't want anything that's mass produced they don't want a candle which is in every part of the world they want some unique flavor smell to it so i think people are willing to spend and if we constantly tell them that this is what benefits it's going to give you people are buying things right. which are more organic more socially um uh, 
things which are even produced in other parts of the world. People don't want to be buying products which are related to child labor and other things. Mm. And I think this is this is about informing the customers and yeah. telling them yeah. what are the benefits of it. Yeah. So in the end, I was, of course, referring to clients, but in the end, the consumers are the ones who decide on what we what we deliver. Uh, but but maybe as designers, we should take a more active stance in what we actually present to consumers. Mm-hmm. Right? Definitely. Definitely. Mm. I totally agree. Uh, anything else you want to say about this, uh, this one beyond human-centered design? Um, I think um, I just have one thing that I think everyone should start practicing that in some ways. I think whether as designers we're designing the next product or services i think it's good to go back to the book and look at a holistic approach we already learn that and we already apply that in service design looking at every perspective in some ways we are we are the champions to the customers and the customer should not be someone who is looks exactly like us the customer is everyone around us mm, so mm. If you start understanding design in totality i think it, it will be great as designers that we can put forward a different perspective than the world has used to seeing overall. Let's make design even more inclusive. I like that. Um, yeah. Nick, final topic. Um, when I show it, it will probably be more in contrast with the other ones. So um, interesting. Third topic is called lawmakers. We had uh, legal design on the show. Uh, we haven't talked about lawmaking uh, so much. Yeah. So the the topic here is when will designers be lawmakers? Oh man, I uh, I'm not sure if that's that's the world I want to live in. <laughs> uh, no, you don't want to. I think it'll be exciting. <laughs> Tell I'm me about it. Um, I think. We, I have one small thing that I'll say that we as designers have always been told to stay in our lane, stay out of politics, stay out of uh, societal mm-hmm. or society decisions. Um, but when you look at all the ways that we as designers influence the society, that just sounds ridiculous. Mm. We have to be involved. And, and when I say designers as lawmakers, what is the next thing uh, for designers to, uh, for service designers and design strategists to take to the next level? It's about lawmaking. Now, I want why, to put why, forward. Why, yeah, why would you say that? How did you end because, up with law? Um, so, what is law? What is what is writing a law? When when senators and lawmakers when they write a law, what is one of the things they do? And it's something very similar to what we do today is basically when you're writing an income tax law, for example, you're thinking about everything that's going to go, all the loopholes that's going to go into it, all the goods and the bads, like what will happen when this will happen. And it's just about understanding the entire goods and the bads of it. And I think it's also seeing things from a consumer point. Is this law going to be good for people who make X amount of money or is this law going to be good for people who make under 50,000, over mm-hmm, a million, mm-hmm. everything. And I think as we as designers have an empathy, um, there seems to be an empathy deficiency when it comes to the lawmakers today. And as as designers, we are much more, we're much more better equipped to understand and write the laws. I'll give a very basic example here. Um, we've heard for years now the problems that Facebook ex- uh, has. Um, uh, with the data collection and with everything we've known, like 
Um, and the and the thing is, their business model is about collecting data. And in some ways, I think we all are contributing to it. We're giving them the data, and they have to use the data to in order to. Um, that is their business model. But I never understood one thing is one of the problems is that nobody seems to be knowing what the privacy policy in terms of users. Hmm. And while a design team has never been set up to rethink how to present the privacy policy, how to present the terms of use, why can't a privacy policy be written or, and presented by a service designer as if it's a product and a service by itself? Hmm. So when I open the, when I open the privacy policy, it actually talks to me in my language. It tells me things like an infographic that, hey, Nick, we're collecting this. Are you comfortable? No. Okay, done. So why can't we think of an onboarding for a privacy policy? And I think nobody to me is better equipped in the industry today than designers taking this challenge. Mm. It, it doesn't have to be writing the income tax law. That will take time. I do understand. But it's about getting involved in local politics. It's about getting involved in companies, uh, I don't know, privacy policy. It's about getting involved uh, about something that's going to affect people. It's about uh, community building. It's about social awareness. Can we get involved in some way? Because we have the ability and going back to beyond human-centered design, we will understand lawmaking from every corner. We can look at it truly from that 360-degree perspective. If you if you look at the design uh, field, why do you think we haven't uh, engaged in this law policy field yet? Uh, because I think I think in some ways we are getting involved. But at this point, as I said, that we as designers, I think we've service design is such a new concept, at least in the United States. In Europe, it's over 30 years old. But today, for the first time, designers are sitting on the board today. For the first time, designers are trying to understand mm -hmm. uh, uh, design that's beyond colors and shapes. We are trying to understand it as a service. We are trying to understand it as a human psychology. We are trying to understand it through feelings. And I think once we pass that area, and today, I think another thing that I would request all the designers, including myself, that let's not look at just products and services. We can get involved in 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 a government channel. We can get involved in in also writing. Uh, 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 there's a great example which was about how a little form helped uh, countries like Germany and all have hundred percent of. Um, uh, uh, what is it called? I'm so sorry. Um, um, have uh, organ donation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's about getting involved with other things. It's not just about looking at products and services. It's about looking at everything. Mm. And this will really help us uh, yeah, understand yeah. the world. And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we had to develop our own practice first to. Uh, level that we're confident enough and skilled enough to have these conversations right the lawmaking has been there for for a few centuries so they had they they had some practice and now yeah we had we we needed to do a little practice before we got into these discussions uh maybe yes maybe we just need to look at it in a completely fresh perspective maybe mm. we need to say that um, lawmaking, uh, to me, lawmaking can be treated exactly how we treat today products and services because we, we, when we start working on new service, we go out and ask the customer what they're looking for. 
we go out and do quantitative, qualitative research. We understand the market landscape. We understand what other countries are doing. And I think today there's this example I'm using in my book that how one of the senators is actually questioning Facebook on what their business model is. And he doesn't seem to know what the business model is. And he's like, how can you sell ads using people's information? And later on, they found out um, uh, he was talking. One of the things he was talking of during the hearing was about piracy and, and you know, people downloading pirated movies. And what they found out is that he himself had three pirated movies on his laptop when they checked because he did not know they are pirated. Mm, mm, mm. So, so we, we in some ways don't want people like this to write the laws for us. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and especially uh, just a few days back, I heard that Amazon is about to write a law for facial recognition um, and present it to the lawmakers oh, wow. um, because the lawmakers just don't know how to go about it. So Amazon has taken it upon themselves. And I was like, great, but I would like a team of designers to do so. Hmm. Um, um, whether I agree or disagree, whether a corporate, uh, a, a corporate enterprise should be writing a law, but that's a different story. But they the have story, the expertise. Yeah. They have the expertise. And I think with the world of technology moving so exponentially, most of the lawmakers don't know what, yeah. how the business model of these tech companies work to write the laws for it. Hmm. Nick, um, at the end of uh, each episode, when we're almost there, we still have one little uh, surprise left. But uh, every guest gets the opportunity to ask us, the service design community, a question. Is there something on your mind that you'd like to share with us, that you'd like to ask us? Sure. I think uh, I would love to know from the uh, service design community, how do you think um, uh, designers as lawmakers, in what areas can we make an immediate effect? Mm. Is, is, it, uh, is it something that you see as local politics? Is it something, as I said, in the world of uh, helping your company rewrite the privacy in terms of use or something else? I would love to know from you. What do you think about it? And, cool. uh, yeah. and uh, I can, for the people who are sort of uh, interested in this topic, check out the episode with Angelica Fletcher, who talks about legal design. That's... Uh, really related to this uh to this uh topic um okay nick uh the book uh i think you we're going to do a giveaway right yes we're gonna do a giveaway to the best answer to the best answer but what's the question so the question is um so the question is um where do you think designers can make a difference in in lawmaking on okay. what of lawmaking can we make a difference and how can we make a difference okay so the answer um we have two weeks after publishing the uh this episode check out uh, all the details down below um uh in the video and if you're listening to the podcast edition go to the video and check uh, check it out two weeks uh and an answer and uh yeah you might win a sign is it it's a signed copy right nick we're going to do a signed copy yeah, yeah. signed copy of uh next book um right Th thanks thanks for sharing uh and provoking uh the conversations on the show that's why what we do here so thank you so much for having me it's uh it's great to discuss some of these topics serves designers as lawmakers hmm that's an interesting topic 
If you want to continue this conversation, uh, make sure to go to YouTube, uh, look the video up and leave a comment over there. And that's also your opportunity to maybe win a signed copy of Nick's book. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment or share, especially share it with somebody who might be interested in what we've just discussed. That would be awesome. Um, yeah. Thanks again for listening to the Service Design Show. It was great having you. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll catch you in two weeks time with a brand new episode or at the World Usability Day in Rome. See you then.